yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't. They they do read and they hear things and they have great ideas and they never do anything. And that's the difference between people who have their own business and people who don't. I got pretty lucky in a lot of senses in that I met the right people at the right time and I was in the right industry with the, the Moonshiner show you mentioned earlier that your dad watches. That really helped me out big time. So I got lucky, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't actually like done, you know, taken those initial steps. And the first uh, like year of my my business, I was actually making stills before we moved on to the kit. Um, and man, I spent, I spent, um, a year work going to work all day and then going to this little garage I was renting in East Asheville and building stills until like one in the morning, two in the morning, and then going home and then going to work the next day. Um, you need to take action if you want things to happen. Welcome to the Making It in Asheville podcast, a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite artists and businesses in town. Each episode, we interview a local Ashevillian to uncover how they're making it in Asheville and provide you with actionable insights from each conversation. And we're your hosts. That was Sarah and I am Tony, and we are a husband and wife team that moved to Asheville in May of 2019. Since then, we've set out to answer a single question, and that question is, how does one make it? In Asheville. And so this podcast is the result of that inquiry. And we've sat down now with uh, 30 or more entrepreneurs, artists, creators, makers in Asheville uh, to hear their stories and hear what they're making. This podcast is powered by our very own marketing business called Making It Creative. We help passionate business owners develop meaningful storytelling and marketing strategies to grow and more effectively convert their audience into customers. Uh, you can visit makingitcreative.com to learn more. And in this episode, we sat down with Kyle Brown, who is the founder of Clawhammer Supply. Clawhammer Supply is a um, home brewing and distilling equipment manufacturer and supplier. And uh, Kyle's been at this now for, I want to say, a, a little over 10 years or around 10 years. And the... Um, the story is kind of crazy and incredible and inspiring and so many things because um, the thing that stands out for me because it was an important moment in my life was that, and I don't want to give all the credit to the four-hour work week because it's not, clearly that's not the case, but at around that time, uh, Kyle read the four-hour work week, but he got busy like applying information and that has been a theme that we hear throughout this episode is that um one of my mentors has a saying like don't don't trust me test me and so uh take what i'm saying and put it put the theory into application and see what happens in your own world and kyle seems to be like expert level 10 at taking theory and applying it yeah, and and I'll just add to that for those of you who don't know what the Four Hour Work Week is. It's a book by Tim Ferriss. Um, it's gotten a lot of, you know, positive and negative feedback because of its title. We love it. Um, we have it. It's a great book. We talk more about it in the episode. But yeah, Kyle has this knack for what he calls tinkering, and um, I don't want to spoil the whole episode. But you know, the whole reason why his business got started was because he likes building things and just seeing how things works. And I think that that in many ways is how he 
grew his business, right? Mm -hmm. He took his love of tinkering and said, well, let me try this and let me test this idea. And he wasn't afraid to actually, you know, mess up perhaps. (laughs) Absolutely. And do it. And uh, it's it's something that's come up now a number of times in these episodes. It's the idea of like scratching your own itch, being your own customer, ideal customer. Um, it, this episode's really inspiring. And and one of the other things that stands out in that like constantly tinkering, constantly creating um, truth that like Kyle lives into is that he's also and and his business is his company has done an incredible job of creating content, of turning that tinkering into uh, stuff that is living forever on the internet via, you know, blog posts and and YouTube videos. Uh, So far, like relative to all of our guests, Kyle and Clawhammer has one of the largest, if not the, across all of the platforms, audiences of anyone that we've talked to. Yeah, and it was really fun for us to talk about that because we sort of geek out about content marketing and email marketing. And so Kyle is a perfect example of someone who took those strategies and grew his business in a very sustainable way. And and again, I don't want to ruin the whole episode, but um, this really is the backbone of what drives his sales, which is unique compared to a lot of other businesses, I think. Absolutely. Uh, And especially compared to some of the episodes that we've had so far in the Making It in Asheville podcast. So um, with that, we're going to we're going to let this episode get started. But as always, you know, we we try and kind of wrap things up after the actual interview, add some more context and information on the back end. So please hang out until, um, you know, the the final outro music plays and we will try and make it worth your while. So thank you for being here now and please enjoy this episode with Kyle Brown of Clawhammer Supply. Where are we? Who are you? Uh, okay. What are we doing? What so, are we up to? I'm Kyle Brown. I own Clawhammer Supply, uh, founder and owner of Clawhammer Supply. We are in our office here uh, in West Asheville. Cool. Uh, Clawhammer Supply sells, uh, manufactures, and sells brewing and um, home brewing and home distillation equipment um, online, direct to consumer. And when I hear distillation, so I always, when I think of Clawhammer so far, I'm thinking beers. Does mm-hmm. distillation mean home brewing like uh, spirits or is that the same type of thing? Right. So um, we, I started the, the first product I ever sold was a still. Um, copper stills. If copper I'm not, stills. From the yeah. Right. Not knowing, not knowing much about anything other than I wanted to, to distill myself and I built a still and, and that in a roundabout that turned into a business. Um, you, um, legally you cannot distill your own spirits in the United States. Did not know this. Okay. So if you own a still in some States, for example, North Carolina, um, you have to have even a permit to have the still at home at home. Wow. Uh, period, right? And what you would get a permit to use is still for in North Carolina would be alcohol related would only be to make fuel alcohol. So if you were to make ethanol um, for whatever you were using it to fuel, 
um, you could do that with a permit, right? It just so happens that the process of distilling ethanol and spirits is pretty much the same thing. It, there's just an added step when you're making ethanol for um, fuel. Huh. Um, in other states like Colorado, uh, you can have a still, you're still not allowed to use it for making spirits, but um, you don't have to have a permit just to have it. So generally, um, when we talk about our stills and what they're used for, we talk about fuel alcohol or distilling water or uh, making uh, essential oils. Fair. Who knew? That's that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, which is one of the reasons we're in brewing because we like to, you know, we're actually into alcohol and drinking <laughs> yeah. and uh, we we wanted to be able to use the equipment that we sell. Um, so one of the reasons we moved into brewing was because we can homebrew all day long and yeah. put that on videos and put it on YouTube and it's legal. Huh? So my, my dad, uh, watches whatever the reality show is about, uh, moonshine, moonshiners. Yeah. Yeah. But dad watches it. I go home and he watches it with commercials. I'm like, you have Netflix. You have all of these things. You're watching this show with commercials. He loves <laughs> oh it. He loves. And so that's so interesting to know. Um, Based on the show, I would have thought that you could uh, distill at home. You just can't sell because it seemed like yeah. the transaction was the illegal part on the show. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, not the case. Yeah, yeah. And enough. a lot of people are confused about that. Yeah. And that's one of the, I mean, honestly, you know, my our business thrives on organic traffic. We In last year, we actually didn't do any paid advertising. We're an online business. Now, is that the correct the way to run an online business? Maybe not. But what we do is we focus on spending our advertising dollars, if you will, on creating organic content. Um, and one of the things we provide is education, information, just like you guys do about Asheville and starting businesses and whatnot. And... Um, for example, a popular blog article on our website is, is it legal to make moonshine? Huh. And we say no. So, sounds Here's like a link to answer. our stills. You can make, you can distill water if you want. <laughs> that is so interesting. It's like we're not, well, I'm not even going to go there, but I was going to say like, I was thinking of the airplane incident where the lady uh, said, well. Yeah, which is a great example. Yeah. What was it? It was so, like, it's uh, we, like, we had, we had just sat down and uh, I needed to go to the bathroom. And so I said, excuse me, ma'am, can I, can I go to the bathroom? I know that we haven't. And she goes, um, that when the fashion lights on, I have to tell you that the fashion light seatbelt sign is oh, on. Right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So I can't go. And she goes, no son, you didn't hear me. <laughs> I have to tell you that the fashion seatbelt light is on. Right. And I was like, aha. <laughs> Yeah. heard right. and I went to the bathroom <laughs> right. um, very interesting I love that and yeah. so um, I, in fear that we continue to go into present tense and what's happening now I'd love to spend a little bit of time and kind of go back to the beginning um, you, you you alluded to your first steps was you, you were interested in distilling yourself mm -hmm. the website says that you're a coppersmith that sounds interesting by that I mean I make stills got it yeah right and so what what when, when about did this all happen and, and paint a picture? Mm -hmm. What was the world like for you at the, at the very beginning? I moved to Asheville in 2006 and um, uh, got a job in construction. 
and with my master's degree. I moved here because I was into um, old-time music. Fiddler and old-time yeah, string yeah, band. Exactly. Okay. I, I loved it. I was just super into old-time music. And um, this is the old-time music epicenter of the universe, if and if you weren't aware of that. And um, so I, I had no plan. Um, I remember all my advisors in grad school or well, uh, my professors and some of my advisors were asking me, where are you going? What are you doing? What jobs do you have lined up? And I said, no, none, nothing really to speak of. I'm moving to Asheville with no plan, except I want to learn how to play the fiddle. What was um, your master's in? Environmental science. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, most people weren't, weren't really into that. Um, pro- probably partially because I hadn't paid to for my master's degree. I, I got a, a GA and I really didn't have to do anything for it. Um, so, you know, once you're basically given a degree, and I got paid well, to go to school. It's a cool thing. Like you, was this they in do that with the idea. No, this was in Ohio. Ohio. I think they do that with the idea that you're going to go out and do something in the field, and it's going to be noteworthy. And then, so I did work in post uh, construction and environmental science field. But while I was, um, I worked here and. Um, when I first moved here, I didn't have a job. I found a job in construction. I met a guy who had a still. And it was just really intriguing to me, the fact that he owned a still that was passed down to his dad from his grandfather and then from his dad to him. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, I wanted to still. So um, I ended up um, making my own still because I couldn't find one. I was pretty poor at that point. Like I had no money. And I didn't, I couldn't afford to buy a pre-built still on the web. So I um, bought some, I found a plan, sort of a plan that I had, that I modified. I bought some copper. Um, the copper was pretty expensive itself, but, but my thought, the, the smallest sheet I could buy was three feet by 10 feet. And, and I only needed like a three by three. So I was thinking, well, this is kind of an expensive piece of copper, but if I build three stills, because I have enough material for that, I can actually sell two and I'll come out on top. Um, and that's, that's literally how my business was born. Yeah. Um, what I I wanted to build a still and then use it to distill water. Of course I found out that, um, I, I really loved the process of building a still, but I didn't, I wasn't as much into actually distilling. Um, working with my hands and, you know, just like pounding on something with a hammer and blasting it with a blowtorch. You know, I'd never really done anything like that before outside of my job in construction. And I loved it. Um, So, you know, my thought was, well, man, like this is a hobby I can have that I really enjoy. But instead of costing me money, like I will actually make money. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how things got started. Wow. I and love so, that. And so at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to turn this into a business, a registered, you know, North yeah. Carolina business or well, whatever it was? Yeah. So um, that was 2006. It was, um, I moved on from my construction job to a job in um, energy uh, efficiency in, uh, in, in um, environmental science. I was uh it's called a HERS Raider. You might have talked to Hunter about this from talk okay. I, I so, know that he he was in solar panels is the highest level lowest yeah. level that we got in his story about energy. He was in energy, I know that. Right. Um 
Well, long story, let's just put it this way. Long story short, I was still in the construction industry. I had transitioned on to something more appropriate for my education. Um, and But I was still in the construction industry. And the construction industry at that point was not the industry you wanted to be in. Because businesses were just going out. They were going out of business left mm-hmm. and right. People were dropping like flies wow. because of the housing crisis. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there there came a time where I was kind of doing this thing on the side, and then there was a point where I was like, "Man, things are not looking good in my market, our housing market here in Asheville." I'm wondering if we're going to be next, you know. So, I started um, like my hobby kind of transitioned to a business idea as sort of a safety net, um, and it turned into a real business after. Uh, talking with a friend of mine who had just read the book Four Hour Work Week, and he yeah. had suggested that book to me, and, and he was saying, "So I'm reading this book about you know this thing called scaling," and 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 I didn't know what that was, and I said, "What's that?" And he said, "You know, well, you can make one, right, and you can sell that, but what if you if you wanted to turn this into business, you'd have to sell. I mean, how many would you have to sell, and how would you do that? Could you make?" hundred stills by hand or a thousand stills by hand. And I said, definitely not. Yeah, no way. Not, not can happen. And I didn't have money to hire someone to do that. And I didn't have enough space to do that or, you know, whatnot. Um, so he said, well, what if, um, you just sold the parts because that's the hard part, you know, of making a still is like actually building it, cutting the parts out is the easy part. Building is the hard part. He said, what if you just, sold the parts because I think it was in the book. Like that's a strategy you could yeah. use to make creative product. And I said, nah, man, no one's going to want to do this. You know, no, this is too complicated. Like no one that, yeah, that'd be a waste of time. And he said, well, you like doing it. Right. And I said, yeah, definitely. Um, I love it. And he said, well, there's probably more people out there like you. And, uh, he said, well, one thing you could do potentially is, to see if this product will work or not. And generally people do this because they think it's a good idea and they, you know, they're all excited about it and then they try and sell it and no one buys it. Right. Yeah. But I was, I was kind of coming at it from the opposite angle where I thought it wasn't a good idea, but you know, this, this other guy did. Um, and so we created, we created a website and we created, uh, just like a dummy product. Yeah. A dry test. Yeah. A, a kit. And we put it for sale. I just, set a target price and we put it up for sale. You could, once you got to the checkout page, it just said, sorry, this product isn't actually available yet. Um, we didn't collect any payment information or anything. Um, but send us an email and we'll let you know when it's available. And I bought, and I spent 50 or a hundred dollars on Google ads to send people to this fake product just to get some traffic. And, um, like I was stunned because people tried to buy it. Yeah. People actually tried to buy it. Um, so that was, yeah, that's how the, the current form of the, it's changed, but like, that's how my business got started. And for years I only sold still kits. You could only buy parts. All I sold were parts and it would turn out to be a really big business. Just parts. Was blew my mind. Amazing. Did you ever end up reading the four hour work week, or did you just take it second hand from your friend who um, seems like an angel here on earth and yeah, the right. garden? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, I have the book. I have I have um, uh, several of Tim Ferriss's books. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah, he's, I love him. He's yeah. a great guy. I listen to his podcast as well. Yeah, the um, the dry testing is a kind of game game changer concept. Uh, w- one of the favorite metaphors is that like, you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, and then you can have this incredible plan, but like try and sell it to someone, and right. let's see how good that plan is. Yeah, yeah. and I love that. Well, one of the things I- I've sensed from you in our conversation so far is that you make for an incredible case study. Like a lot of people will read the four hour work week and never test, yeah. and, you know, and never like execute against the advice of someone who says that they've done it before. It seems like you execute against advice. Is that something that you think is true as well? That's just what I'm, I'm picking up. Um, Maybe I didn't understand that so question like, fully. So, uh, and, and I'll, I'll rephrase it. So it's however many millions of people have read the four hour work week. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people have set up Taking a action. dummy page oh, right. to mm-hmm. test a product that and they think could paid work. For ads, and paid, which is, and yeah. paid to drive ads, what which is the next step. It's one thing to like, you know, you can set up a Squarespace page in almost yeah. no time, but like then to pay to run the traffic. And so you take a concept and execute it. Um, I know that you've been on the Andrew Warner podcast, right? right. And one of the things, so is, is execution something that you're, you think is like a special skill set or is it just by accident that you're, yeah, I mean, thing? it's not like something, some special ability I have. I do, I mean, I do things, you know, like I did that, um, taking a lot of risks with the business as it is, is not necessarily easy for me right now. For example, I'm making a coaster right now, just a drink coaster. That's a, just a normal coaster it's causing me so much anxiety right now to like the, the designing and material sourcing or whatever. And it should be very easy. I go through that every time I do roll out a new product. And this is probably the simplest product we've ever rolled out. And it's causing me a lot of anxiety, but, um, I just work through that, you know? And, um, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't, they, they do read and they hear things and they have great ideas and they never do anything. Um, and that's the difference between people who have their own business and people who don't as far as, you know, c- concerning the people who have aspirations to own their own business. You can't just – I got pretty lucky in a lot of senses in that I met the right people at the right time and I was in the right industry with the, the Moonshiner show you mentioned earlier that your dad watches. That really helped me out big time. So I got lucky, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't actually, like, done, you know, taken those initial steps and – um, the first, uh, like year of my, my business, um, I was actually making stills before we moved on to, before I moved on to the kit. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, I spent, I spent, um, a year work going to work all day and then going to this little garage I was renting in East Asheville and building stills until like one in the morning, wow. two in the morning and then going home and then going to work the next day. Um, I put a lot of time into it. Um, so yeah, you need to take action if you want things to happen. And so just to kind of, and, and I I want Sarah to ask some questions, but the timeline that I'm hearing is 2006, you make your first still sell the other two and maybe you use some of the small profits to buy more stuff, make more stills. At what point are you having that conversation with a friend? to say, uh, what if you only sold the kits and you run this kind of dry test product isn't live yet. Give us your email. What year was that? Yeah. 
Um, probably 2006 is when I started getting into stills. Maybe 2008 and 2009 was when I built my first still. And then maybe for, you know, like all of 2009, maybe 2010, um, I will, all of 2009, let's say I was like building stills. And then maybe 2010 was when I transitioned over to the kids. Wow. So it's, you've been at this for 10 years. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Dang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So moving on from there, um, I ended up leaving Asheville in, um, 2011, okay. the end of, end of 2011 to move out to Boulder. And I got a sweet job out there. Awesome consulting job in Boulder, basically like the, you know, the, the best position I could have had, oops, the best position I could have had in my field without actually owning my own um, consulting business, residential energy consulting business. Um, and I lasted maybe like 11 months out there before my business just like exploded, just took, Claw hammer. took off. Yeah. Before my little side hobby took off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to, um, um, leave that job. And, and that's when I transitioned to being a full-time business owner. I think it was the end of 2012. Wow. What was the, the trigger for this explosion? Was it, was it just pure organic word of mouth or was, do you think that there was something that really happened that kind of caused um, it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because the moonshiner show that you were talking about, again, that helped that had, that had already been out for a year. Um, but I had been building this content around distilling and, um, it um, it finally just got traction, got some traction. Yeah, what I made kind a couple of, of I made some videos, just like mm-hmm. I would I would just read forums and I would watch the show. Actually, like one of the things I did was I would watch the Moonshiner show, not because I liked it. I didn't really, I don't really particularly enjoy that show, but I would watch the show just to see what kind of stuff they're talking about. Okay. Um, like at one point I, I heard them, I heard someone mention the name of like a certain type of a still. And I was, I had been working and like, I had been, I was knowledgeable enough at that point to know that I, I didn't think that actually existed. I think the person on camera just kind of made that up for the show. Right. So I get on and I Google this and like, there is nothing on the internet about this, but I'm thinking people are going to be searching for this because the guy was like really talking up this certain type of a still. So I made an article about that still. And that was a lot. We got a lot of traffic. Wow. From that. So that's like news jacking. You would, you would watch to know what the, get ahead of what the pulse is going to be and then get in front of the pulse Mm -hmm. and, you know, hijack some of that, uh, awareness. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I want to kind of get tactical. Early days, you transition to a uh, parts strategy. Is fulfillment, are you fulfilling against it in Colorado? Do you have like a little factory somewhere that people are uh, drop shipping for you? Yeah, currently, cur- currently, um, then and now, our warehouse and manufacturing facility is in Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so at that point, though, I was still... Um, working um i had i rented a house in lyons with a a really nice house with a heated garage and um and um that was where my business existed for a couple years in that garage and so yeah we were doing everything in the garage there currently it's in a warehouse and space in fort collins got it and so when that kind of inflection point 2011 or 12 um the upper bound in the in the system 
like the limit, the constraint was, was higher than if you were doing it yourself because you already had fulfillment somewhere else. So, um, what I'm thinking of is if someone's getting started physically making some goods at some point or another, it's like, how many trips can you take to FedEx or UPS? Mm -hmm. How much time can you put in, in packaging? Mm -hmm. Once you offload that to someone else, you've now increased your work capacity on other things. Mm -hmm. And now it's a matter of creating the demand to run out of supply. So Mm -hmm. in Fort Collins, you had supply sort of figured out in some way or had figured it out Mm -hmm. after enough time that the demand changed after a year or three years of creating content Mm -hmm. and news jacking and being, uh, would you say you were a community member in like the online forum world? Mm -hmm. People might've known of you. Yeah. We had a really active Facebook page. I mean, there were people who had been making and selling stills for quite a while, but we, that was, it was just like one of those industries that hadn't, I mean, it was very underdeveloped. So, um, I think a lot of people who were selling stuff online didn't even have Facebook pages, for example. And Facebook was really big at that point. Right. And so our Facebook page was like, I mean, really active, really, really active, tons of people on there. And so that was kind of like the community. I didn't really even have to go anywhere. Um, so we would, yeah, that we would get information there and like you're saying, turn that into content. Um, it, the process of growing from someone who was just, you know, making like selling a few thousand dollars of equipment, uh, a month to someone who is selling like $130,000 of stuff a month, um, that transition took place literally in about three months. Stop. I'm not kidding. Maybe maybe four. So how did you already have that much? Uh, was it a dim- like? Because it's one it's one thing to it's one thing to drive enough traffic, right? You can mm-hmm. you write the right thing at the right time. You newsjack the right thing. Like people yeah. show up on the page. People might want it, mm-hmm. but to be able to fulfill against ten times the need. Yeah. doesn't seem like because that's uh, the scale thing that your friend uh-huh. was talking about and how to yeah, go from no, one to a exactly, hundred one yeah. or a hundred to ten thousand yeah it's uh it's an order of magnitude yeah yeah so yeah like i had figured out uh an easy way to make and and fulfill a product right which is just like cutting the parts out and putting them in just a flat mailer essentially and mailing them to people um but yeah, scaling that up like 10x is not was not easy. More than 10x. Um, it was the best. It was like literally the best year of my life and the worst year of my life all at the same time. It was a hor- It was actually horrible. <laughs> like I remember my phone. I mind you, I still had a day job as this scaling was happening, and it was a pretty demanding day job. And um, you know, I didn't want to let those people down. I wanted to. F- fulfill my obligations there. Um, I just remember, you know, I would, I would be talking to people on the phone and, and, and like while I was taking the leak, you know, like I have to go take a bathroom break. I check my phone and I remember like literally there were days where I would have 40 missed calls. Right. And, um, uh, cause you were, you were the question line on the website. Is that, uh, yeah, we've changed how our website is set up now, but, um, you know, uh, but yes, you know, yeah. people wanted to buy stuff wow. as well. And, um, and that was, you know, it's, it's, 
it was horrible actually looking at my phone and just seeing like every time another call came through, I'd be like, Oh my God, no, this has to stop. (laughs) This has to stop. But that was like the success was like, I was getting killed by the success of this business. Um, it was crushing, honestly. Um, but I had, and I had to figure out, you know, I had to hire people, which I did. Uh, and I, I worked it out. But, um, if I had been, you know, I'm just a guy the, 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 the thing about the, the story though, is that I'm just a guy who was just like selling, making stills in the basement. And one day, you know, a lot of people wanted to buy them. I don't have, I had been listening to podcasts and whatnot, but I don't have business, formal business training. I was a manager at the two places I worked at, but I hate managing people. Um, you know, I don't like hiring people. It was, it was a difficult time. Um, I managed to do it and work through it, but it was very difficult. We, um, yeah, that's that. Um, I ended up, um, one of the first guys I hired was, um, just a guy, this is kind of a funny story, actually, you know, I'm, I'm underwater at my day job. I'm, I'm underwater with the still thing. I have to figure out, like, I can't just make these myself anymore. And up to that point, you know, as people, as things were starting to ramp up, it was still fun to me. Um, I, my girlfriend at the time was helping me build stuff on the weekends. My friends that I played music with out there, like they would come in and help me and it was fun. We'd listen to music, we'd drink beer, we'd build stills. I paid them for their time. And I, I got everything done on the weekends. Um, and then once like I grew out of that, like that just wasn't working anymore. I had to hire somebody. And I remember I'm, I'm thinking about this one day on my drive home from Boulder up to Lyons, which is where I was living at the time. And I'm like, man, I need to find, I need to hire somebody. And I stopped in this grocery store to get something, the drink to drink on the way on the drive home and, um, non, non-alcoholic of course. <laughs> and, um, and there's this like really hippie grocery store in North Boulder and I'm standing there in the checkout line and the guy who was like checking my groceries out was like unacceptably, unacceptably high. Like he was too high <laughs> to be at work, you know, uh, like in a lot of places you go, you know, in Boulder, especially like people will show up to work high and that's okay. In some cases it works for some people. It was not working for this guy. And, um, I, I, and I walked up, I hadn't even said anything to the guy and he goes, he goes, not much chillaxing. <laughs> I was like, what? Did he think I just asked him how his day was going? And I looked at him and I said, what? And he went, wait, what day is today? (laughs) So I'm like, jeez, man. But the next line over, there's this guy who's just crushing it, right? And he's just like slamming the groceries through the the line, right? And he's super polite and nice and he just seemed like a real awesome dude. And I was thinking, man, like that's the kind of person I need to work for me, right? Because... He is clearly in an environment where like anything goes here at this point. You know, he could be half blacked out and they're not going to fire him from this job. But he has the integrity to work really hard because that's just the kind of person he is. And so I went on my way and I got to thinking about it. I was like, man, the dude works at a grocery store. Like, I feel like working for me would be way cooler than gr- working at a grocery store. Maybe I should go back and offer the guy a job. Um, so the next day I went through again and the, the other, the guy was there again and he was coincidentally was just getting off shift. So I followed him out the door. Like I kind of stalked him out the door I was like, Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but, um, I have a job opening and I'd like you to work, 
you know, for me potentially. And he goes, well, what do you do? And I was like, oh, well, this is going to sound really weird. I build moonshine stills in my garage. <laughs> um, uh, trust me, it's like above board. Um, and it'll be way cooler than this grocery store, I promise you. And whatever you, pay, whatever you're getting paid here, I will pay you like $3 or more an hour. Um, cause I knew the guy would be worth it, you know? And he's like, well, get, let me, give me your number and I'll think about it. And long story short, that was my first like real employee. Wow. Like I, um, which is not really a lesson in hiring. I don't think it, maybe it is. I don't know. It worked for me. He was a great employee. Yeah. I, I mean, think, but it is a lesson of like work ethic because yeah. you never know who's watching and right. who's going to notice that and, and either feel appreciated by it or, or want that sort of talent. Yeah, exactly. And I explained to the guy, I was like, listen, I like you clearly are a hard worker and you seem like you're a pretty smart guy. Yeah. So. Well, dang that, uh, that's such a cool story. Yeah. And and to think, we didn't ask about your first hire. We just left open space and you told us one of my favorite stories that has happened so far on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. That was awesome. I, I've seen Sarah have a couple questions come up in her mind. I, I just I want to know what your day to day life is like now. Today. Like what yeah. from you we wake up and what? You you have yeah. coffee with no creamer, we know that. Yeah, right. Um um so generally, so I've really set my business up to um, not to require as little input from people as possible in terms of taking orders, for example. For a long time, we didn't even have a phone number on our website. Um, and Google's like that. I don't, I don't think you can just call Google, right? Uh, it didn't. It's not really the smartest thing from a business perspective. We have a phone number back up there now. But we try and answer as many questions from people as possible before they actually call or email us. And um, we we just try to systemize things to the extent that this this business requires as little effort to run as possible for the purpose of, one, being profitable, and two, so I don't have to work as much as I would Yeah, otherwise. classic Tim Ferriss for our work week philosophy. Yeah. Um, so... So essentially, like I've, for the most part, I've offloaded everything that's critical that I used to do onto other people. And all I really need to do is come in when I feel like it, which is how I prefer to live my life. And um, there are people here, you know, you see like this guy in the next room over here, Robert, he's an intern. I didn't hire Robert. The reason Robert's here is he was, he was so persistent. He got my number from somebody else and he was so persistent about wanting to come work with me as an intern that I was like, you know what, man, I'm just gonna give the guy a job Yeah. because he keeps following up. Even when I don't respond, he keeps calling. Um, but, um, so like there's some management happening right now. I'll come in and I'll work with Robert and we're working on this coaster project, which is great. Um, because I want a coaster created, but I don't want to create the coaster myself. And, um, and I, and I don't have to if I don't want to. <laughs> Sounds kind of childish to say, but um, uh, so yeah, it, it's a balance. A lot of days I don't do, I don't put a lot of time and effort into work. I'm a, I'm a father. I have a, you know, I'm married, you know, so I have like family life. I, ha- I have to take care of my son, and I like to work out and do things like that. Yeah. Um, but um. It, I keep a pretty relaxed schedule. We'll keep it at that. We'll leave it at that, I guess. So that's awesome. So I, I, it feels like a moment ago you said that year was the hardest year of your life. So we're going from 
stopping at some quick check might not be, but some supermarket, uh, making your first hire to having a new office in West Asheville. Mm-hmm. You have a team, people are working on video, you have an intern, the space is gorgeous. That is a huge transition over 10 years. Yeah. What are some or one of the, if you could say, like milestones or moments that stand out as turning point, turning point, turning point? Yeah. Um, well, one, um, the distilling industry that we initially got into, that was actually like a boom bust scenario. The boom was the Moonshiners TV show. The bust was everything that happened after literally the first year I got I started selling distillation equipment. If you get on Google Trends um, and you look up how to make a still or a copper moonshine still, you know it's way it's like the peak was 2011 something like that 2012, and the demand the interest at least as a search term has dropped off significantly, right? Um, so we've actually managed to grow as a business since that time. And what we've done is we've really invested in organic content as opposed to paid per click, right? Because yeah. if, you know, you, like, it would be, I guess, like an evergreen strategy, um, which allows us to just not, you know, not invest money say one month, but we still have a lot of visitors to our website. If you stop paying for a pay-per-click, um, you don't, you don't have people coming to your website buying things. Yeah. Um, the, the metaphor that just popped in my head is a sailboat versus a motorboat. Yeah. Like to drive right. a, a boat, you're burning yeah. gas mm-hmm. by definition. But if you build a sail, yeah. anytime the wind blows, you're moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> yeah, so from from day 1, we we built a really big sale. And that go, that goes back to um the Mixer G uh, interviews I listened to and Tim Ferriss content I I I I watched and listened to and read about and um SEO blogs I read. It just seemed to me that everything that I kept coming back to when it when it came to marketing was like number like one email people always say, you know, own your email list. It's one of the only things you can own. And two, make high quality original content and put it on your website and on your social media channels. And if you do that, people will, it will always be there and people will, you know, for it will always be there at least for people to find. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that's allowed us to, the business to grow as it has. One, just to keep growing um, because we, we continue to capture more market share Um, even, you know, the companies who were selling stills weren't really big, but they were still, they had like all the market share before we started. Um, so we continued to capture market share as we moved along because of our marketing, our organic content marketing strategy. And we, we've also kept like competitors at bay as well with our strategy. It's kind of a hard industry to get started into. Copper is really expensive, um, whatnot. So that's one of the things that um, has allowed us to transition as we have. Getting into brewing was another thing, you know, that really helped us out. I mean, that's more or less a completely different industry than home distilling. Um, Is there an overlap, people who are mm -hmm. uh, home distilling and home brewing? Yeah, I mean, just let's just say hypothetically, 
if you were to make distilled spirits, what you're essentially doing first is brewing beer. Huh. And then you're throwing it in a still. Um, so there is there is an overlap. Mm. Um, we thought there would be a much bigger overlap than there actually is, though, yeah. which is a strange thing. Maybe we're reading it wrong, but there there is um, people who people who actually distill things. You know, let's just say they're making fuel alcohol. They're not. They're not. Um, they don't typically seem to be using fancy equipment to make their mash and it's probably because you know maybe they've watched a tv show and they saw people making a mash in a 55 gallon drum Mm. which was free you know so when you suggest to those people that they should use a brew system they're like oh they balk at that yeah you know and people who are just into brewing a lot of times like they're really not interested in getting into distilling um mostly probably because there's a there's a legal issue there yeah Mm. i'm curious to go back to the whole content High, producing high quality content. Yeah. How do you think about content planning now? Uh, do you think about content planning or is it just sort of a natural thing that comes, ideas yeah. come? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we... And and I'll just, I'm sorry. Uh, and just for mm-hmm. audience members who might not be aware, you have some pretty, I would say, large and six, like substantial audiences on Facebook, yeah. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's not like... There are some people who put out YouTube videos and a hundred people see it. Yeah. And like that is a milestone, sure. Mm-hmm. But like I, I think I looked up you have millions and millions of YouTube views, for yeah, example. I think just last year we had maybe four million views um on our videos on our website. I think we had three million page views last year. Wow. Um, so so ju- that's just context to yeah. this. Content I mean and show. I'll add sorry, and I'll add that there's an entire like video production studio here in the office so Mm -hmm. it definitely seems like you guys are all in on producing yeah organic content i'm I'm just wondering how you come up with topics how how often do you create certain types of content do you have a calendar that you use to Mm -hmm. plan it all out yeah um we don't have a calendar to um um we don't have a calendar but we we don't really even have meetings. I kind of set the schedule. I kind of like essentially come up with what we're going to make brew next, you know, um, just looking at our brewing videos alone. Uh, the best way has always been to figure out what kind of, kind of content to make. Um, you know, read your emails. People are going to email you and say, Oh, you should make this video about this beer. And there, there's going to be a clear winner if you look at enough emails. Right. So, um, that's one way to figure out what to make. What I do at, oftentimes is, um, you know, I have friends who work at New Belgium. Well, what what are you selling? You know, what are you pouring a lot of? I go down to Tasty Beverage, an awesome bottle shop downtown. If you haven't been there, you should go. That place is so. I love the dude that that works. That I don't know what his name is. Um, he's he. I don't think he's not the owner. I asked him, but the guy that's always behind the counter there, um, so knowledgeable. Uh, when it comes to different beer styles, he's tasted every single bottle in that place. And there, uh-huh. and, and there are a lot of bottles in there and he can tell you everything about every bottle you want to buy. But I'll ask him, like, Hey man, what are people buying right now? What's big? And, um, you know, it's, um, just, just like standard IPAs. And then it was juicy IPAs. And it, then it's like hazy IPA. And then it was a brute IPA. And now we're kind of moving back. You know, it's the weather's cold. So it's a stout, um, and just people are buying a lot more Pilsners than they used to. 
Um, so we, I don't know. There's, there, there's not really a formal process, um, as far as content. Is there an output cadence that you try to stick to one a week, one a month? Something yeah. Like that? Um, there is informally, like most things are around here are done informally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, to the protests of like pretty much everybody else. Um, that's how I prefer to do things. And, um, so that's just, I don't know this. I mean, there, there's a good and a bad to that, you know, like for example, my video editors, they come and go as they please, you know, and that's one of the things they like about working here. They can come in in the middle of the night. Um, or if, if uh, Lawson, one of our, my editors is still in school, if he has a big school project, he can focus on his schoolwork and make sure he gets a good grade. Um, so we try and put out a video like every week or two, but it doesn't always happen. Fair. And you know, it's, again, it's, it's, um, it's not like pay per click advertising. If we don't put out a video on a, a given week, it doesn't kill us. Because we have so many videos up there already that people are already seeing that they still get viewed. We yeah. still get traffic. So we just do what we can when we can. Um, and we're pretty informal about how we come up with the... Uh, we try and focus you know, on, on things we think will do well, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, so, and so I had a question about the website's evolution. Because uh, one of the things I heard you say, and we agree with we've said before, is that email sits paramount to mm-hmm. all the other um, channels because you actually are, are owning that relationship. You own the access to that inbox. Um, I know that there's a very strong call to action on the website mm-hmm. and offer. I'm wondering how has the website evolved over the years? Your phone number's gone on and off, but what else right. has changed? Yeah, well, um, if you were able to... My my website's not on the Wayback Machine. It's not? No. Oh, okay. I, I actually took it off there. It, and it's because it was so bad for so Did many years. Did you save some of them though? No, I don't even, okay. have, I don't even think I have an image of it. It was like it was um, confusingly bad, right? Like we had a confusing amount of of customers based on our website. I can't really describe to you how bad our website was. <laughs> and but people, what was it built on? How about that? Uh, well, my my website's always been on Shopify. Shopify, okay. yeah. And so I did the layout of like the first iteration, and of course I was like, "Oh man, this website is awesome, dude! That was so bad." <laughs> <laughs> but um, that just goes to show it's uh, there is a you know there's some truth to if you build it, they will come. Yeah. You know, it's not as easy as it used to be, and you have to be in the right time, you know, place, right time. But um, so it was bad. I hired a designer once we, you know, once things like settled down, once we, once we were able to catch up with the demand, which actually took, I mean, it took long, it took a couple of years actually to really fully catch up with demand. Um, I, we, we hired someone to just redesign our website and, and build it for us. Um, but you know, the thing about just marketing in general is, um, well, all of our website is very important to us because 90% of our sales come in through our website. You know, we sell on Amazon only like 10% come in through Amazon. Um, that's good and bad because, you know, uh, I have a friend who has a business who sells 90% of his stuff on Amazon and 10% on his website. And he's going through the process of selling his business right now because he's terrified that Amazon's going to release a, like an Amazon version, version of his product. 
and his business will just evaporate yeah. overnight, right? Um, but it's bad for us because, you know, Google could do the same thing. They could, like, derank us somehow, and that's happened to people um, over the years that I've been paying attention to that kind of stuff. Um, but also, if I was just reading a, an article the other day about how to crush Kickstarter because we're going to put a new product on Kickstarter. And it was in the Tim Ferriss Tools of Titans book. Uh-huh. And one of the first things he says in there is, well, you got to reach out to bloggers. And I'm like, wait a second, bloggers? I mean, it's like 2020. Yeah. You, th- that's not the first person I would reach out to to promote something at this point. So I went and I looked that article up and it's actually repackaged from 2012. Yeah, I, I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2012, blogging blogging was huge, right? Um, um, so in that, which is how we built the business that we did yeah, that because was... we focused on blogging. Blogging was big, right? Now you go to Best Buy and any TV you buy comes preloaded with Android, which they they generally like that TV over there runs on an Android system, and it comes preloaded with YouTube, right? And a lot of people now are just watching. I mean, even if they don't watch YouTube primarily, they at least have the option to watch YouTube yeah, on the TV. And for sure. YouTube has gotten so good. Um, I mean, it's become such an awesome platform because like you can pretty much look up anything on YouTube now and, and find the answer you're looking for. If you're looking to do something or to learn more about a topic. Um, so that's why we've transitioned over to, you know, we, that's why we're in this space right now. We needed a studio space because we wanted to make videos. Our product lends itself very well to how to videos. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, YouTube being as popular as it is, that works out very well for us. Um, and our next challenge really is, you know, moving on to trying to figure out how to do better on Amazon. Um, because three years ago, four years ago, I read this, on a marketing paper um, a while back, not maybe within the last year, three years ago, 80%, I think 70% of all product searches. So say you want to buy a toothbrush actually started on Google. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, I want to buy a toothbrush. Maybe I'll order it online or, you know, I'll just look on Google for a toothbrush. Right. Now, uh, 80, 70, 80% of product searches start on Amazon and only 20 or 30% on Google. So once someone's on Amazon and they're searching for a product, it's very unlikely that they're going to flip off of Amazon back to Google and then find like my website, for example. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So not, not only has my website evolved, but my, marketing strategy in general and content generation strategy in general has evolved and it's still evolving to try and keep up with this stuff. You know, I don't know. I'm convinced that people don't really read anymore because Instagram, for example, um, has become so entertaining and I guess maybe I'm too old. I I hear Snapchat's the thing as well. I don't do that, but um, Snapchat, uh, it's on a, it's on a decline. TikTok. Is the, okay, is no, yeah, TikTok, TikTok is the, <laughs> TikTok is the new one. It was it's like the new Vine, Snapchat, yeah. and then now it's TikTok. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so... So you seem like really on the pulse of what's going on in terms of, you know, technology evolving, mm-hmm. but also marketing. What kinds of magazines or news sources do you read to kind of keep up with this information? Well, I still listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I guess we have we've talked about this like outside of this interview, but mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. And um I've listened to several of your um podcasts since we met and I love them. They're great. Um uh yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Do I do you want me to mention it? Like, yeah, is so, it okay to like are, mention the, the competing podcast? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um I listen to uh a lot of um Pat Flynn's smart passive income. For sure. He's yeah. huge. he's been a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then over the years, Mixer G. Mixer G. And Andrew Pat Warner's Mixer G has been a tremendous help. Yeah. Do you subscribe to any uh emails that you actually read? Like we read uh Seth Godin. He he sends a daily email. We read those every day. Any other like startup or something similar? Uh yeah, I don't really do like any email. Cool. Yeah. It's kind of a miracle that I got your well, I think you sent me an Instagram message. I, I, first. I went yeah. to Instagram first. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Yeah, I've I've like kind of offloaded my email too. That that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the. So that's one of the the questions that I I always want to ask people is like why like why are you doing it? Certainly, it's not to be incredibly busy, right? Like it it that can't be like the goal. The goal might be to grow the business, but to what end? Mm -hmm. And my what I'm hearing from you is to live a balanced, healthy, uh, let's say casual, you might have used that word earlier, yeah. kind of day-to-day. Yeah. So you, would you say you're like, though there's growth that you're looking for and goals and all these new visions for coasters and more, yeah. uh, are you accessing part of the future state that you want to get to, like today? Yeah, I mean, we never really, we don't really tar- talk about things around here in terms of like sales targets and numbers targets. We do not much, of, we don't do much of that. We do talk about like what we're interested in doing, like what kinds of things do we think are cool and what do we want to sell and what kind of content we do we want to create. And so that makes like the running the business part easy in that sense. And um, so it makes it fun for me in a way that I can just be pretty casual about it and not come to work and work, you know, I don't work a 40 hour work week. Um, and then when I am here, um, the critical tasks that need to get done that I absolutely don't want to do. And I'm probably not going to do a good job at like other people do those things. And then when I'm here, I get to just think about fun things and do fun things like make videos and new products and things. Cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, 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 the priority for me personally is, you know, living a balanced life. And, um, the way to do that though, you, you, I mean, you got to keep your finger on the pulse and you got to make sure like things are headed in the right direction, but, um, there's not a whole lot of pressure generally. Thankfully. Yeah. Cross, cross my fingers. I'll continue. And you you've laid a foundation that comes from more than 40 hour weeks and 2 a.m. building skills. Yeah. And so phone like, calls you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the foundation is there, right? And, and the metaphor, which I don't know if it exists yet, but now it is the way that I will describe this. You built a really big sale. So you, so yeah. like, unless something wild changes about Google's algorithm and it also, not only Google searches, it affects YouTube and, and also Instagram and also all these places that you've laid foundations uh, or let's call them breadcrumbs because mm-hmm. I like metaphors to help people find you. Um, you know, that, that is part of what I think gives you what I'm hearing gives you the freedom today is that you have laid a very, very solid foundation. It must be the construction background. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Goodness. Um, and so we know that coasters are on the docket for 2020. What else are you thinking about in, in the future and in 2020? Uh, we have an essential oils distiller that, yeah. So that um, I, I, I didn't want to flag it early because that wasn't where anyone was headed. But I, I, essential oils is a relatively new thing in my world. I know they're not new yeah. generally. It seems like that could be a little bit of a no. of a rocket ship. Yeah, no, that could be a huge market. Like we, we started looking into essential oils equipment and there's not a lot out there. It's, it didn't, there seemed to be, it seemed to be very expensive and, um, I've heard slow, like a long, yeah, like it is a slower process in general, but yeah, they, some systems are slower than others. This is another cool story. And this is kind of illustrates how we do things in a sense um, around here. Um, two people who actually I used to work for in Boulder um, at the, the job that I had out there, they sold that business and um, they did pretty well. They bought some land in North Boulder and to entertain themselves, because they they had a successful exit, they decided to um, start a lavender farm. Ah. Right? And so they're just getting started. And um, so my friend David is calling me, he calls me one day, and he's like, what do you know about essential oils? And I said, well, I mean, I've written some articles on it. I know very little. We haven't, we've maybe done it like once. And um, we were looking into maybe making like essentially we have everything that we would need to make a pretty kick-ass essential oils unit, but we just haven't gotten around to it. Um, he's like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about making, making one. And David is a very, and Laura, his wife, very smart people. Right. And, um, like very technical, super smart. And I'm like, man, this, this could be a really easy one win. I was like, okay, here's the thing, man. How about this? And they're in Boulder. I was like, drive up to Fort Collins. I'll tell Derek, my warehouse manager, that you're coming. You can take anything you want from my warehouse and build whatever kind of essential oils distiller you want, and you can have it all for free. If you just, um, one, give me the plans once you're done, right? Because I'm going to sell this. Yeah. Because I know whatever he comes up with is going to be, be legit. Yeah. And... Two, make a video of yourselves using it so I can put it on my YouTube channel and that'll be my marketing. Um, so that's what happened. They got this equipment. They grew a bunch of lavender. They harvested it. They, they distilled. They, make, they made a sweet. Well, they didn't. I made the video, yeah, but they gave me a the lot footage. of awesome footage. And I put the video together. And David gave me, like, he came up with his own design, which I, I had it, like, reworked in a sense you know in a way that made it more it was more industrial and you know it was kind of hacked together in a sense but it, but still it worked um with some extra parts he had bought and um and yeah fast forward you know like a year or so after he they got that equipment we had we put the video up and like let it kind of build up some traction and we got it we collected a bunch of emails and then we rolled the product out and sold a bunch of essential oil stills on day one because people had been watching this video for a year. And I didn't really have to do anything uh, except for just let, you know, let it happen, I guess. Um, but that said, that that that's something we really want to get into um, moving forward. We want to make some more essential oils content and get into that market. So that will probably be the, the next thing that we do uh, equipment-wise, like product-wise. Beyond, you know, like from a business standpoint, um, 
you know, growing the business, I think really it's probably not a good idea to do zero pay per click advertising because in theory, your ROI should be positive on that. You know what I mean? In theory, like we should be able to run ads and make a profit on that. Or, or the inverse, which is in theory, you could run these at a loss and know that the lifetime value of your customer, True. you know what I mean? Is going to yes. make it back. So yeah. Yeah, right. But really, um, the re the reason we haven't done it is because there's only so much time in a day. You know, we run an, a pretty big size business for the number of employees we have. Um, we we do that by focusing on the things that we know how to do and we do well, and we don't really spend a lot of time. Like, we try to not do things poorly. You know what I mean? We try yeah. to. We can't do something very well like that. We just don't do it. Yeah. So, like that would require someone to, you know, do math. <laughs> so, you know, but we're, you know, we're toying with the idea of, you know, that kind of stuff as, as well. Yeah. Here this year. Especially, you know, with, with, um, that's, again, that's just kind of how things are going. I mean, I buy my wife really much more than me, but me as well. Um, she buys things that she sees on Instagram. Like she's an Instagram, you know, casual purchaser of products. And, yeah. um, I've done that once or twice. And those that kind of advertising can be really effective. Absolutely. Um, so that's another thing that we're probably trying to crack the code on this year. We'll, we're at least going to explore it. And yeah. I don't like it's not going to be me that does it. And I don't think anyone in, in here currently even has the skill set to do that. So, um, um, if you know of anybody, let me know. I'm right. I'm kind of talking with people right now who are already in that industry and. Um, I've gone down that road before, you know, paying people to manage ad campaigns. Like we did it one year. We really went all in and dude, it was just like $60,000 out the door Yeah, with like nothing in return. I mean, maybe some in return, but it was really bad. Like their ROI was not nowhere near what we thought it was going to be heard. Yeah. And so we can, we can definitely circle back around on that, yeah. um, offline. One of the, one of the things that I, I'm wondering Podcast is a world that you pay attention to. I know there are a lot of beer podcasts. Have you have you ever thought of? Do you have like affiliate links? Are people sending their audiences to you for a four percent, five percent, ten percent commission? Yeah, we do that with some people. Um, you know, one of our strategies here recently has been to. We haven't done it with podcasts, but you know, we're on. We make videos for YouTube, so we spend a lot of time watching videos on youtube and anyone who's brewing beer on youtube we've seen them yeah um and and if we find someone who's we think is we think they're cool they are producing content regularly and they are brewing in the way that we brew which is a brewing a bag single kettle system and um they're and especially if their equipment's like not very nice as soon as I find the person like that, I immediately get their contact info and email them and say, Hey, listen, I like your content and you seem like you're cool. I like to give you a system yeah. and here's, you know, here's what you'll get this free system and I'll give you an affiliate. I'll give you affiliate commission as well. Cool. So we do that. I don't really listen to brewing podcasts. I've tried and I just can't get into it. I listen to business podcasts. I, mm -hmm. you know, I love your guys' podcast, but brewing podcast. In fact, I think you should cut the tasting part out of the front of this video. Cause like <laughs> I was listening to this. I'm like, no man, skip. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just goes back to what you kind of said in the beginning of like, you really liked making the, the equipment, but you didn't, you weren't so into actually making the, the beer, right? 
or distilling. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of interesting. And and I, I do think that, or, or my, my gut says that there is uh outside of hearing someone's story, their, their story with distilling, you can't, I can't imagine go so technical yeah. on a podcast. It lends itself to video a lot better. Yeah, uh, totally it does. Yeah. You, you need to see or, it or hear it or, or watch yeah, it. Yeah. Um, or even just like pictures, snapshot, snapshots. Um, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Uh, short videos on Instagram too. For cool. me, it's like pretty boring to listen about listen to people talk about beer. Yeah. And so uh, if you're wondering what we're talking about, I had already mentally uh, stuck the intro that we recorded to the after. Okay. That's bonus. Cool. So stay after our uh, announcements at the end of the podcast to hear about our tasting of the lovely sour. Right. We will poorly describe how it is. <laughs> Good. <laughs> me like. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I mean, so we have a sense of 2020. I, I, I have some questions. Asheville, right? So you're a fiddler in an old time string band. I, uh, yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. Okay. I was really into that, man. Like I was just over the top into yeah. old time music and, um, that's kind of been replaced by other interests. Here's the thing about playing the fiddle. It's not easy to do, right? And it's kind of like learning how to speak a, a foreign language, not just a foreign one, like a really foreign language, like Russian or something like that, um, having never even heard it before. And starting when you're 20, which is when I started, now 25, right? Um, you will never be, you will never pass as a fluent speaker of Russian, right? You can't just like learn how to play the fiddle. Maybe some people can, I can't. Um, but I really, I really like playing the fiddle. I just, I don't do it very much anymore, partially because I'm not really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not very good. Yeah, the, the, it's steep enough learning curve that you have to really kind of bite onto it. It seems right to yeah. get past that steep. So, is it's been uh, substituted with fitness now? It seems like seems like working out. Yeah, you. Know, I mean, par- partially because how my, you know, my my days go here at work. I mean. Um, we do tend to drink beer here at work. Um, we can, we have to drink beer at work, right? Because we brew beer and we drink beer to taste it. And um, we're reviewing beer sometimes. And so um, like what I really liked doing when one of the things I loved about playing music was you'd sit down and like drink a couple PBRs or whatever and play some music with people. And when you, ha- when you have to go to work and drink beer, it's not necessarily what you want to do when you get home. You know, so, so also to balance, you know, like drinking at work, um, I'm, I'm really into like fitness type stuff as well. Like I go to CrossFit, um, Asheville and that's like a big part of my day. You know, every day I try to go every day. Um, I run a lot during the summer. So, um, yeah, you got to keep a balance. You got to keep a balance. For sure. What about, um, things that you enjoy doing in Asheville, like, restaurants bars or otherwise yeah well this is going to conflict with what i just said but i absolutely <laughs> love Asheville brewing company mm-hmm. like there's just something this is a magical combination of like fat salt you know carbohydrates beer good movies they're cheap i love that place and my six-year-old son loves the game room there so we go there quite a bit um yeah, it, we you know we live here in West Asheville, and there's I mean, West Asheville is like so nice. Yeah, you know, compared to just ten years ago, there's so much going on here. Um, it's we don't really have to travel far to go to really cool restaurants. Uh, 
like Taco Belly, you know, Hunter's Restaurant, and Urban Orchard right across the street, and there's a couple breweries over here and whatnot. Yeah, we uh, we spent a little while at Owl just before here to kind of yeah. sit down on a computer and upload some, Owl, some stuff. great. I mean, amazing pastries, great coffee, great place. Yeah, Um Awesome. Yeah. And so, uh, West Nashville, how about, uh, nature? Do you guys find yourself in nature often? Is that a bit? You said you go on runs, you hiking, camping, swimming. Yeah. My son is, um, a fanatic about fishing. Cool. He loves fishing and partially, uh, not surprisingly because there's this show on, um, Netflix, I guess, but it's also on YouTube called chasing monsters. Oh, and it's about a guy who travels the world and catches, tries to catch really big fish. Is he like British or, uh, he's, not, he's not British. I feel like he's um, like from. But he's, he's bald headed. But he's, he's got yeah, like a funny. He's, he's got a darker complexion. Okay. He seems to speak a lot of Latin languages, like okay. Portuguese and Spanish. You know, he seems pretty fluent. Um, anyway, my son yeah. loves that show. He loves fishing, so that's what we do. You know, in the summertime, if we have, if we're trying to get out and do something, we'll generally try and go fishing wow. somewhere. He just loves it. Um, uh, yeah. And I love, you know, we, um, well, this is, I guess, outside of Asheville, but yeah. we go to, um, the Outer Banks a few times a year. We try to make it out there. Um, I loved, I, I recently got into, well, not recently, but several years back, got into kiteboarding. Yes. Um, okay. Love. I just like, that's kind of what I live for outside of, you know, like work and family is kiteboarding. Wow. If I could do anything, it would be. So I got to connect you uh, with a with a buddy of ours from New York who's since moved to Colorado and replaced you. Uh, well, it's recently, so he hasn't replaced you, but he, uh, Mister Helly, he's okay. got a company called Helly, uh, and they do all sorts of like adventure sports globally. And uh, one of their biggest pushes last year was in kiteboarding. Okay, like they want to sing the praises of kiteboarding. He's obsessed with it. Yeah, seemingly like now like I know you. the I know the company you're talking about. I've seen YouTube content that they have sponsored. Yeah, definitely, and they maybe even have their own channel. Yeah, I and, know you. I know the company you're talking about. Andy Colt. He's a he's a sweetheart. He's a good guy. Cool. And he loves CrossFit. We got to get him down here. We'll yeah. We'll uh, we'll make a thing. We'll do a workout. Yeah, <laughs> fun. Um, how do you get started? Uh, kiteboarding was that just. I grew up wakeboarding, um, so I grew up water skiing. My dad was a fanatic about water skiing. Your dad, your well, dad she Sarah talks about water skiing. I've never water skied. Didn't you do that oh, on yeah, lakes? Yeah, it wasn't my dad. I, I I grew up going to a friend's lake house, not far from here, somewhere in, in the Nantahala area. Yeah. Anyways, and that's how I learned how to water ski and kneeboard and wakeboard yeah. and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. loved it. Probably couldn't do it today, but yeah. My dad was, um, he lived for water skiing when I was younger. And like, that's all he wanted to do outside of his normal daily responsibilities. And so, you know, in the summer we got, you know, we, when we were out of school, we would, we would go water skiing. We lived near a river. In fact, they bought a, my dad bought a pond at one point, um, that was dug for like three overpasses. This is in Northern Ohio. Right. And so this is huge pond that nobody really had any, that it was being used for nothing. Um, and my dad and a friend bought it and it was just like maybe half a mile from our house and it was big enough literally to water ski on. Wow. Um, so that's kind of how I got into that. But, uh, we went to Mexico, we went to, um, Baja at one point and, um, 
uh, for like a family vacation recently, like within the last like six years, maybe like five years ago, I went down there with my wife and, um, there was a, it was just a crazy, crazy windy day and the ocean was just like gnarly. No one, you know, it was red flag day and no one's getting in the water. You can't get in the water. Um, but these, like these two madmen were out there on kiteboards launching <laughs> off of like 10 foot waves and they were launching like 20 or 30 feet in the air. Not an exaggeration, just and, launching. And you can land after all that? Yeah. Because, wow. you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could land poorly there's a way to land and not hurt yourself and uh, just keep going there's also a way to hurt yourself yeah um but anyway i saw these guys and i was like oh my god like that looks like the most fun thing <laughs> i've ever seen they're flying in the air they're like wakeboarding but they're also flying it looked amazing um so i walked down to just watch them and they were getting out of the water just right you know as i walked up and i was like I just started talking to him. I was like, I want to do what you guys are doing. How do I learn how to do this? And, um, and they, they, they asked me where I live. I said, North Carolina. And they said, well, Outer Banks, um, Cape Hatteras is one of the windiest places in the world. And it's one of the best places to learn how to kiteboard. Huh. I was like, Oh really? I've been there. Um, I had been there just like, I've been to like literally the exact place that they were talking about and hadn't even seen the kiteboarders because I was on the other side of the Island on the ocean side. Like, sucking really bad at surfing huh. so um yeah that's how i got into it just went out to hatteras and just like took a lesson on another trip we did out there and it just i loved it just immediately i was like this is what i want to do cool. this is amazing well that's what it's all about i think i'm so glad that we uncovered that kiteboarding who would have who would have guessed homebrewing and kiteboarding <laughs> not together not, to, not at the same time <laughs> not at the same time I do have a question because you seem to be so, I mean, this, growing this business seemed to just, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but would you ever consider doing another business? Yeah. Um, you know, I would actually considered selling this business before mm -hmm. we moved into homebrewing. Mm -hmm. um, again, it, it kind of like lost its, it, it was fun. It was not fun there for a while because there was this, we kept running up against this um, wall, which was we want to make organic content about our product and the mm -hmm. process, but we can't because you can't legally, you know, distill, like you can only distill water so many times and you can only, you know, and I, I'm not really the type that wants to misrepresent what I'm doing. I guess you could do that, but yeah. Um, so the the thought was like, well, maybe we'll sell this business and then and then start selling brew brewing equipment. Um, but instead of that, we just like built that, you know, threw that on top of this. Okay. And once I once that happened, and we were able, like, it was fun again. Mm -hmm. Like instantly, it was fun again. Mm -hmm. I really, yeah. I love the process of making beer and then making turning it into a video. It's super yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at this point. Um, I mean, I guess I'd only start another business if I sold this one, and um, I, I don't have any plans to sell this business at any point soon, at least anytime soon. Mm. If it were more demanding, you know, if if my if it required more of my time, maybe mm. I would, and and you know, I would maybe try and move into another business that didn't require as much of my time. But I've, I've just set this up in a way that yeah. it's not. You know, it's not really a burden. Yeah. It's fun yeah. for me to work. It's a dream. 
Yeah. That's like really awesome and uh, aspirational. I, I mean, we thank you for the amount of time we're, we're going to transition towards like the last couple questions. Cool. Um, a standard here and it catches people by surprise, but, uh, if we had a magic wand or our audience did, and there was something that we could provide you with as a solution per your request, cause it's a magic wand wish, what would that magic wand wish be? Man, you could just deliver, uh, a, like numbers marketing genius to my front door who could just crush some Instagram ads for me. Cool. That'd be, that'd be real nice. Yeah. Heard. I mean, in terms of business. Yeah. If you, I mean, I'd love for you to just be able to wave a magic wand and transport us to like Bonaire so we could go kiteboarding. Or <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. we got to talk to my buddy Andy. Like, oh, you, there you probably go. make that cool. happen. I should have, you know what? Asking you shall receive. <laughs> yeah. Should that should have been my number one? <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. I like, I love both of those answers and we'll work on that. Audience member who is sick at ads, reach out. Um, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to make sure you said? Um, no, I think we got it. I think we covered it. Right on. So how would people find you on the internet? Um, you can find us on our website. It's clawhammersupply.com. Um, and our YouTube channel, which is just Clawhammer Supply, maybe Clawhammer Brewing. Yeah. Yeah. If you look up Clawhammer Supply or Clawhammer Brewing, Clawhammer Stills, you'll find us. Yeah, and we'll sure. have we'll have links to all that on the show notes. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having us yeah, over. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And that was episode 43 with Kyle Brown of Clawhammer Supply. I mean, I have never actually thought about brewing a beer. But I have now, since interviewing Kyle, watched all sorts of videos on home brewing, and I think it might be. I mean, we I don't know about in this apartment, but when we have a place, I think I might need to get a little like a Bruna bag. It yeah. seems so cool. Yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, I know we're not legally supposed to distill in North Carolina, but we could buy a distill kit and um, do it someplace else. Sketch, sketch, <laughs> sketch, but definitely beer brewing. Um, it was. I mean, that was just such a blast, and. Uh, to be in their space as it's kind of evolving into this new home for them, uh, watching, you know, where kind of their sausage is made right in that kitchen where they put out all of the content. Um, it was, it was really special. And I, I, I feel grateful for Kyle for having us over there. And I'm also really excited, um, because I think that this specifically, this episode was like in, probably one of the more practical of any of the episodes so far, like, uh, we really got into some, some actual like tactics and, and strategy as well, but definitely some tactics that I, I feel are able to translate across whatever you're doing. You don't need to be in beer or, uh, have a physical good. Um, but there's something to be said about sharing your process, educating through content and, um, allowing for the long tail benefits of that to drive your business. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was it was fun getting to geek out about content marketing and how he does email marketing and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
definitely a great business episode, I'd say. And, you know, we covered a lot of books and podcasts and people and places in this episode. So if you want to learn more about all of those things, especially, um, I think we talked a lot about Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, um, you can find links and more information about all of the things we mentioned during the episode at makingitinashville.com forward slash 043. So it's just the episode number after our website name. And if you enjoyed this episode, thank you for making it this far. If you enjoyed the episode, please let us know by um, throwing five stars up on Apple Podcasts or even going so far as to leave a review. Those two actions make such a world of difference uh, because that helps the algorithms show this podcast when people are in Asheville and looking for cool things to listen to or search Asheville. Um, It allows our guests' stories to be told And uh, for that, we are very grateful. So thank you. Yeah, and if you want to stay up to date on new episodes, be the first to hear about when they come out, as well as events and other news from Making It in Nashville, um, please go to makingitinashville.com forward slash subscribe. You can subscribe to our newsletter. You can subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player and more. We've listed all the ways you can stay connected with us there. And one of the things you would know about first, if you are subscribed to our email newsletter, is uh, the events that we're hosting in town. Uh, One of the events that we're most excited about is this series that we're calling the Monday Maker Mixer. Um, We are trying to create a opportunity for people who listen to this podcast and people in Asheville to get together. Uh, We try to avoid the word networking, but it's something like that. It's meant to be, uh, you know, the good kind, the not yucky kind. And so our next event is on February 24th. It is a Monday and it is in the morning. Um, There are a few tickets remaining, um, but, you know, in the future, this episode uh, will still be available to listen to that exact Monday Maker uh, event will have passed, but you can learn more about what we have going on by way of events at makingitinashville.com forward slash events. Uh, as easy as <laughs> as easy as that, but please uh, do check it out. And we would love to meet you in person and love to have you as a guest at one of our events. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so one of the things that Tony and I do when we're not recording podcast. Mm. Uh, We have a small marketing agency called Making It Creative. It helps keep this podcast alive. Um, We help small businesses in Asheville and really anywhere um, clarify their message, tell better stories about what they do. Um, We do anything from email marketing to SEO to making sure your website says what it should say. A lot of the things that we talked about with Kyle in this episode, we love doing, we geek out about it. Um, We'd be happy to help you. You can visit makingitcreative.com to learn more and get in touch with us there. Perfect. And uh, the last thing we do on these episodes is say that if you or someone you know would enjoy being a guest on this podcast, we are always open to nominations. The best way you can do that is at makingitinashville.com forward slash podcast. It's a pretty easy to fill out survey uh, to let us know who you would like to hear um, or if you yourself would be interested in being on the podcast. We are always looking ahead to now what looks like Q3 of uh, 2020 to uh, kind of get out in front of these episodes. So uh, again, makingitinashville.com forward slash podcast to uh, nominate yourself or someone you know. 
So awesome. 43 episodes uh, and and cannot, cannot get over how much fun this is. This is like what a gift, what a treat. Um, one of the events we didn't talk about yet in this, this specific episode is our podcasting workshop. And um, I just, it's, it's funny to think that the first episode started by me pressing record and just, we just did it. And I think that there is a really interesting little uh, parallel between Kyle's story and ours. He, let's say, started a lot earlier than we did and <laughs> has been uh, prolific in the content that they've put out and in the uh, like quality of delivery that, that they've lived into. But there is something to be said, honestly, about just like doing the thing. And so I'm so glad that we've done this thing. And uh, thank you, listener, for being a part of it. Sarah, high five. So uh, what are you opening? So we're going to drink a sour beer that we actually made here in the office using our equipment. This is a fancy beer here. Yeah. We make a lot of not 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 fancy beers, but this is a fancy one. So I wouldn't have imagined that uh, you would have wine corked it. I thought you would have might have champagne exploded it out. So like this is a, yeah, that's a great question. So this is a Belgian beer bottle. Um, it came with corks that should be compatible with this, and you can just, you know, champ, pop it like a champagne bottle. Yeah. I'm not, maybe either I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, or these corks don't match these bottles. It's like Excalibur. You need to be the (laughs) chosen. I'm apparently not the chosen one, so I'm using the wine opener for this. You can do this. Here, I'll do this. We'll get a little. Is there a benefit to having cork in a a beer? That's great. Um, Like I've only ever seen like the little caps, you know? Yeah, so... So this is a really thick bottle, mm-hmm. right? And it, um, y- you cork it, and then you also cap it with like um, a little metal wire. Okay, cage. yeah, like champagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be higher carbonation beer. Got it. Because of the style. Got it. So this is a sour beer. It's a sour saison, and we want it to be higher carbonation. Um, it has wild microbes in it. Britannomyces, uh, lactobacillus, some other of random stuff, yeah. and that um, that stuff can be unpredictable if if you screw up your math on you know uh, on how much sugar is in the bottle and um, how much CO two it's going to make once you add your priming sugar and whatnot already. Like that stuff can eat sugar that normal yeast can't, right? So just to be on the safe side, we we put it in this this bottle here and is that is that because if it were a less sturdy glass you might actually could, blow the glass yeah, out yeah it could blow up yeah oh wow and yeah. so the the wire also is just to keep the cork in correct and if you were to let's just say like standard beer can stamp on a lid would that just blow easily um it depends you know it all depends on uh, you know how much sugar you have in the can when you can it. If you're like can conditioning, that's generally not really done, so far as I know. Maybe people do it, um, but it just depends on how much sugar you have in there and what what kind of stuffs in there and how much it's going to eat and how much it it makes. I probably personally wouldn't try and put sour beer that's going to can condition or, or bottle bottle condition in a can. But yeah, yeah, heard cool. Yeah, wow. So anyway, uh, yeah, here's the that. Well, let's uh, 
Let's investigate. This is the yeah. best start of a podcast we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little nervous because uh, the bottle didn't like, I, we didn't get a big pop out of there. Oh. But it, it looks seemed, like there's some bubbles in there. Okay. Yeah. Here. Oh. oh sorry. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is exciting, people. We, uh, we might jump cut to uh, the tasting, but... So uh, when did you make this? How how old is this? You said bottle condition. Yeah, so does so, that mean it's 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 going through some sort of fermentation in the can or mm-hmm, something? A yeah, word like as it, it as it sits and ages, it changes. Thank you. Um, sits and ages, it changes. To prevent that from happening, you would filter and pasteurize. Um, neither has been done for this. Okay. Some some breweries do that, and some breweries don't. Um, so, you know, it will continue to, because there, there are living microbes in this bottle and they wow. just continue to just sit and do things, you know, over time. Um, so we'll see. One of the things we've learned is throughout this journey of really getting into homebrewing is how much beer changes, even just like an IPA in a keg for 30 days, it goes through this, this cycle where it's like great. And then it's like not so great. And then it's pouring really well and then maybe not so well at the end Um, and that's with perfectly steady or relatively steady uh conditions conditions, meaning like the room stays at the right temp and the wines at the right temp right that's still keg and uh yeah and maybe that's just because we're just homebrewing and we're not commercial brewers but that's how it works for us well uh thank you for having us cheers cheers can't (laughs) can't reach that far but Oh, yeah. So what are you tasting? Because I taste tasty. That's like the descriptor I would use. Tasty. Tasty. <laughs> yeah. Um, juicy, maybe. It does have a really mm. juicy um, feel, definitely. And I get like some apricot. That's obviously sour. You can, mm-hmm. It's decently sour. And then there's fizz. Tongue fizz. You feel the fizz on your tongue. <laughs> right. Mm. Sarah's normally good at using words to describe uh, food and bev. What words do you get? No, I definitely agree with you. It's definitely juicy. It kind of makes you like quench a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you say the apricots, I'm getting it, but I wouldn't have been able to nail that on my own. But yeah, that, I don't. I don't taste any particular notes of anything. It tastes like a sour beer. I like it. Yeah. It's well, good. I don't know, like a, a honey, maybe. There's something uh, like really uh, pleasantly sweet to my tongue. Mm, it's it's kind of like a mead, mm. but. A sour version. Yeah, of it does have a little like mead taste to it. One of the things that we realized um, as we started getting into tasting beers and the brewing beers, and you know, obviously, like as we present them, we brew them and present them to people on our YouTube channel and whatnot. We are horrible at using tasting. words. Yeah, and using <laughs> words, and it's partially because I, I really don't. I hate the. Um, I used to subscribe to Whiskey Advocate, mm-hmm. right? And there is so much BS fluff, I uh, think, in that world. I just, from my perspective, it could just be because my palate's not developed enough. But I just couldn't, I I was never really into all of the descriptors they use for all the different whiskeys, you yeah. know, like tobacco and leather and cherry. Like and, when in doubt, tobacco and leather and cherry. Like yeah. that's the only thing that I... Dried herb, not fresh, you know, <laughs> lavender and whatever. Um, but then there is, uh, uh, there are people who are good at i have sat down with people who are really good at tasting beers and they will say things and you'll say to yourself oh wow that's really true yeah so and i suppose there's something to it and so th- i think that's a, a pretty strong um opportunity for me to ask a question that i i have been thinking about is 
I mean, we talked about how there's all the stuff that's happening in the bottle, and it continues to happen in the bottle. And if your math's not right, it seems to me outside in that home brewing can be a pretty daunting undertaking, and like the uh, education around yeah. beer. Forget about just just tasting it, right? We don't even know the words to say. Do I like right, it? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, did you find that it was exclusive in some ways or daunting at first? Yeah, totally. What I didn't like about homebrewing when I first got into it was the um, all of the cleanup. And, you know, there are several ways. To, there are a lot of different ways to brew beer. We use what's called a beer in a bag. It's just one kettle with a basket in it, right? And you, you mash in that kettle. You pull it out. Your grains go with it when you when you pull the, the basket out. And then you boil in the kettle. So you essentially just have to clean one thing once you're done. It's like self-contained. Um, well, a lot of people brew using a three-tiered system and a more complicated process, a lot more cleanup involved. It takes a little bit longer um, to do. So the reason we sell brew systems, one of the reasons we sell brew systems is because Emmett, one of my employees, came over to my house one day, like years after I had brewed beer the first time with this brew-in-a-basket system that he had built just from plans he found on the internet and we used it and i was like oh my god this is so much nicer than this is so much easier than brewing on a regular three-tier system um but just like equipment wise and process wise yeah it's daunting and then uh the science behind everything you know they're like easy ways beginner methods and and it can get pretty complicated um it's daunting one of the tasks we do have is, um, as a company trying to sell brewing equipment, is presenting uh, brewing, home brewing, in a way that is is straight, simple, straightforward, Plain easy talk. to understand. Um, one of the challenges we have as a business is that we have to entertain ourselves. Hence, this beer, which is like this, is a really complicated process. Like. The some of the ingredients in that bottle there are a year old. Oh wow! You know, and that's two different batches and all kinds of stuff that went into that. Um, so we try and balance those um, focuses, I guess. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it benefits us to keep things simple. Yeah. Probably. I heard. I think um, one of the things we went to a brewery not long ago, and one of the things that we we learned was that uh, l- lagers seem mm-hmm. to take longer to make than a yeah. ale is that mm-hmm. yeah so way outside of my depth here but so yeah, where right. people start is the 101 yeah like a american pale ale is it something mm-hmm. even simpler than that i don't know yeah there are two primary types of yeast that are used in brewing uh lager yeast and ale yeast and um lager yeast is fermented at quarter temperatures typically it takes um you know four times as long generally to wow. lager a beer Wow. Um, as it does to um, make an ale. So it seems like lagers should be more expensive when, when you see them on a, on a menu if it's more time inputs. Yeah, I mean, well, you can rush the process. You can ferment them at higher temperatures, and the resulting product is, you know, it, it will taste different. Huh. For example, with lagers, if you ferment, if you rush the lagering process, you can get like an apple taste, which for me, when I drink... Bud Light, that's what I taste. Yeah. I do not like that beer. But I mean I'm a fan of I'm a fan of lagers in yeah. general, but um huh. not that one. That's so interesting. And that, 
Huh. So it isn't one of their things like, I don't think it's Bud Light, but like Brood in the Rockies. Is that just like a workaround for like, we do this super cold, so it gets oh. out super fast? Is that Coors? It's, Coors. it's gotta Maybe, be Coors. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, interesting. So would you say that loggers are most people's gateways? Like how do, do people find you as step zero in their homebrewing journey or do they have to have like a, oh man, this is harder to do. How do I simplify it? And then they find you. And also let's start at the beginning. Where are we? Yeah, and who are sure. you? And what's, yeah, I'm sorry, we, we got we, so far into it. We get really into yeah. the weeds there. Yeah. Right?